your host, Natalie Allport, and welcome to the All In Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Bryn Drescher, aka Brennergy. You will see why over this next hour. Uh, she is a mental performance coach and a former D1 athlete. And when we recorded this episode, everything was kind of going on with Naomi Osaka and mental health. If you don't know what's going on with that situation, uh, you will definitely will go over it through the podcast. We definitely give a good insight of the whole situation before we dive into our thoughts um, and some of the things that we're learning throughout this process and some of the issues that it has really uncovered in the whole conversation of mental health, especially mental health related to athletes. We actually planned to release this episode in a few weeks time and decided to move it up and move it forward because of this topic and this conversation that's going on right now and we wanted to add our voices into the mix and some of our thoughts. I really enjoyed talking with Bryn about some of the stigmas and the misunderstandings around athlete mental health, but this podcast goes much further and beyond that. We dive into Bryn's expertise and knowledge as a mental performance coach, talking about consistency, about daily habits of high performers, about intent, as well as the concept of a mental diet, which is what are you consuming in your mindset, in your environment, the things you watch, the people that you follow. We talk about so many amazing things and she has some great book recommendations. So I really believe that you will enjoy this podcast, hopefully learn more about some of the stigmas and understanding about mental health, especially in the athlete context, um, as well as some great high performance habits and tips. So without further ado, let's go all in. All right, welcome back to the All In Podcast. This week, I am joined by my friend, Brennergy. If you don't know why she's called Brennergy, I'm sure you will find out throughout this next hour. Um, Bryn, thank you for coming on, and how's it going? Oh my gosh, so happy to be here, Natalie. You know I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, so yeah, all in with Natalie. I'm ready. <laughs> awesome, and win with Bryn. I love the uh, the analogies. Um, I, this is, a, the, I think, a perfect first question to dive into is where does your energy come from? Yeah, I don't know, to be honest. And I thought I had good energy until I had Nick Swisher on my podcast. So I think that he takes it up even a level higher because at the interview, it was like almost like, whoa, like he is on. Um, but my energy comes from something natural. Like I've just been this way my whole life. Um, once I'm up, I'm up. I'm like people, I don't drink coffee. I don't take, I don't do caffeine at all in my life in any capacity other than in chocolate because um, it naturally occurs in the cocoa bean, fun fact. Uh, but anyway, I, and I don't eat chocolate every day or every morning, but I just, my point is, is that it's just natural and it's been there my whole life. Now, do I run out of energy sometimes because I go so hard? Yes. <laughs> so it can be depleting at times to be on all the time, um, but I love it. And it helps me as a speaker, as a coach, and to connect with people. So I'm very thankful for that. Yes. I mean, your energy is contagious and we, we met on clubhouse and I think it was your energy and then everyone was calling you Brennergy. Um, and that's how that kind of like yes. went on. And that was, that was always awesome. It was always uplifting to have you in those rooms and, and hear your voice because that's the thing about clubhouse. If anyone's listening and you're not familiar, it's audio only. And so even through your voice, you could tell that you're passionate and you had that energy, but you did just talk about how it does somewhat, you know, sometimes run out and being on all the time can be yeah. difficult. 
um, for sure. I know after like a weekend of competing, I'm like so depleted from being on, yeah. right? You're trying to impress people around you. You're trying to show up for sponsors. Right. You're trying to compete. So what do you do to recover and replenish so that you can be on again? <laughs> it's going to be sound like a really boring answer, but I just sleep. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and I call it like powered out robot, which is where like, it's almost like when your phone dies, that's what happens to me. It isn't as if I'm like, oh, let me go in and recharge. My body's just like time to turn off. And so like a lot of times I'll go and I'll speak because uh, we I do these all day workshops in schools sometimes. And I, you know, this is three days of being on for like eight hours a day, being in the front of the room. And if you don't know as a speaker or someone, even like as an athlete, what you're talking about, people are drawing on your energy as the, you know, like it's just a thing to be out in the forefront. And so once I get home, sometimes like I'll just be sitting on the couch trying to have a conversation with my girlfriend. And then next thing you know, I'm just gone. So that's <laughs> typically what happens. Sometimes, sadly, even as I'm driving, um, it's like, okay, wait, wake up. We got to get home. We got to get home and we got to get home alive. So those type of things. So it's like once I'm off, um, but I do um, make sure that I get rest. I eat a good diet. I'm vegan. Not saying you should be vegan, just eat healthy. And um, I think I just also just really try to feed myself a lot of positivity. Um, so, you know, make sure that what I'm consuming elsewhere when I'm not outputting or impacting is also positive and re-energizing. So those are some of the tips. Yeah. Right. Oh, I love that. That's such great tips. And I think that, that robot off really related to uh, everything my parents described to me as a child. They were like, <laughs> high energy. And then, you know, I, I would go on, they'd be like, Oh, it's time for you to have a nap or time to go to sleep. I'm like, I'm not tired. And two minutes later is like, zonk. like, you know, it's just gone. Yeah. I was pushing through and then yeah, exactly gone. Um, I wish I could still tap into as much high energy as I did when I was younger, but I think what you touched on with the positive messages, but also like the diet too, those things, like regardless of how you eat, but just making yes. sure that you are eating foods that fuel you because, um, that's a, that's a big one. Like when I was an athlete, I was very conscious of everything I ate, especially for performance and inflammation. And I mean, still an athlete for sure, but I haven't been to the same meticulousness of my nutrition as I, as I was, but I'll know, like, I know I'm like, okay, if I eat this cookie right now, I have no shame about eating a cookie at all, but it's, I do know that the reaction will mean like I might have this spike because it's like a chocolate cookie or something, and then I'm going to get that low after. And so I think it is important to at least be cognizant of those things, regardless of if you're eating for performance or whatever, because whether you're an athlete or you're working, like managing your energy levels is important and we're feeding ourselves with food as fuel. And so we want to make sure it's like that long-term sustainable fuel. Absolutely. And when I was an athlete, I definitely did not pay attention. To that. I just ate. I took advantage of the youth and just was like, I'm eating whatever I'm eating. And then as I developed more awareness about even since I'm so into mindset and everything that I consume, I became more conscientious about what I was putting in my body. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it well, definitely it affects your thoughts and everything, right? Because if you're getting into these highs and lows every day, yeah. um, you're going to hit those low thoughts as well. It won't just be your mood. It'll be everything that you're thinking. Um, if you are feeling negative about something or something, I guess you get like a an email, a triggering email or something in that low point, it's going to affect you much yeah. differently than, than the high point. Agreed. 
Agreed. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. The highs and lows of what we go through and being cognizant of how you what is your high? What is your low? And then how to make sure you're maintaining that balance for yourself and knowing that somebody else is high like myself, who's an absolute extroverted individual. Right. Doesn't mean I always say, what's your 100 percent? And it's not what's 100 percent for me is the same for you. I definitely became sophisticated and more mature about that as I got older. But at one point in my life, I definitely thought, hey, if I'm working this hard, you should be able to do the same thing and it should look the same. And now I know that that's not the case. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I think I've I've gone through the same process where it's like you want to hold other people to the same standard, but you forget that everybody is completely different. Absolutely. So recognizing, I think that like effort is effort, and so you know if I'm putting in all my effort, and so you just trust that someone else is putting in all their effort, um, the results might look very different, and that Absolutely. might serve each individual person in a different way. Yeah. Awesome. So I I, I heard you talk before about. Like the concept of, for example, when you're speaking and you're going out and giving that high energy to people, um, but also you talked about receiving and being able to receive it back. Could you dive into that concept? Yeah, absolutely. I think people are, um, we're really good as people that, especially in the helping space. So like if you're working, you know, I work in the mental performance, mental skills, whatever you want to call it. I don't care the title, but I help athletes best basically harness the best of their mindset to have better performances and just be better people overall, because I care about the whole person, not just the athlete. And with that, um, because I'm constantly impacting, serving, thinking of how I can inspire and whatnot, when someone comes and then gives it to me, it feels weird. It's an interesting thing. So when you're someone that's always giving, especially people in the service industry, you find this a lot with doctors, nurses, um, teachers, um, educators, anyone in these fields where it's just like it's all about service they have a hard time receiving. And so when we're talking about mental health, it's so important to make sure that we are on the receiving end because it's all a cycle. When it comes to my energy, learning how to give and receive energy because it's not just about like, I'm all in, which is awesome, but all in for yourself means also sometimes holding the space to allow to receive and be in a place where you can receive because you can't give from an empty cup. And that is something that we see all the time from professionals like, you know, like you burn out and now you're not there as that source and that support for that person. So being able to receive is such a key part of being a giver as well. Mm, love that. And so well said. And speaking about the topic of mental health, I want to touch on something that's super current to this week that we're recording, which is the whole thing with Naomi Osaka. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Naomi and I know you posted about it the same with the same thoughts. And so I would love, I'll give the listeners a bit of a background. Chances are, if you have been a listener of this podcast, you probably know about Naomi Osaka because you probably follow um, some similar uh, wavelengths and channels and platforms and all those good things. But if you don't, Naomi Osaka is like up and coming. I wouldn't say up and coming. She's already at the top of the I think she's number one right now. Yeah. Yeah. But she's she's young, right? Like she's young. Yeah. She's young though. Right. Yes. She's still in the early starts of her career. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, so she's young. She's at the top. She's actually the highest paid female athlete. I know last year she was the highest paid at 30 some million. 
um, over this past year. Now she's like 50 some million, um, which is just incredible, you know, really breaking ground for female athletes in so many respects. Um, but she, she's dealt with her fair share of mental health issues. And she spoke out about it this week when she was going into the Roland Garros, uh, tennis tournament. And she shared on social media that she was not going to be participating in any media post game and press because she wanted to protect her mental health. She's been dealing with some things and wanted to just, you know, focus on the game. Now that caused a lot of outrage because there is a process where you get fined if you're not participating in these things. Um, There was kind of, you know, shots called at the tennis federation for not protecting their athletes, mental health. Um, But then there was just so many negative comments about people saying, you know, this is your job. You're, you, you paid all this much. You should just suck it up, you know, just kind of dismissing the mental health and just saying, you know, you've got to push through and do this, um, to the point where then some people were saying she was doing it just for the attention or whatever, which is just so, I, I can't wait to talk about this because it just boiled oh. my, my blood, but right. then she came to the point where she pulled out of the tournament to not cause attention just to, you know, try to back off, which of course it kind of did cause more attention because then the media focus entirely right. on that rather than, you know, the rest of the players or what's going on. But I think it's also empowering a lot of athletes to step up and speak about their mental health. And she went as far as talking about the depression that she goes through and how she's very introverted. And so it takes a lot of energy for her to go and talk to the press. The press sometimes aren't the kindest people. Um, They, you know, we've seen it a lot in sports, how they, they try to get specific emotional triggers and reactions. Um, So I would love your, your first thoughts. And then I'm sure we can jam out about the, uh, the topic in general. Yeah. So, uh, so many thoughts. I'm afraid that I would keep talking if I went into this because I did a 16 minute live yesterday. I'm not going to go 16 minutes, but I was very like, whoa, I was fired up about this. So um, first and foremost, um, Naomi Osaka is a high profile athlete. And you and I know from, I mean, like Natalie's coming from the world of being a high profile athlete and being an individual sport, even though you are part of a team, when you are competing, it is just you out there. And so, whereas Naomi Osaka Naomi Osaka is just competing on that court by herself. She may represent a country. She may represent a brand, but she is on that court representing Naomi Osaka first and foremost. And so I think it's very interesting in the world of um, sports and the world of, you know, media and social media that people feel that they have the right to comment on someone else's mental health. I want to make that clear. That if I tell you what I need for my mental health, you have no say in the matter. Now, if you are a psychologist or a psychiatrist that I am working with and you want to provide some sort of diagnosis, prognosis, um, treatment plan, that's different that I have contracted and I have decided to work with. But in general, and even then, um, you know, but anyway, uh, the point is, is that it's important that we give people what they need. The fact that she had to come out and say what she was struggling with for people to take it seriously is one of my biggest pet peeves about the situation. And then people talking about like her doing things for attention. I mean, anyway, I could go on and on and on. And, but I want to make sure that I give us the right to kind of like have a conversation about this, but there is the racial aspect of her being a black female, um, also Asian. Um, there's so much for of the holistic of who Naomi Osaka is and what she does as a, as a sports figure to use her platform for advocacy, for raising social issues. And what she said in that first statement was the most powerful, which was, I I don't understand this 
culture of kicking people while they're down. Right. It doesn't make sense to me. And so to me, that was like, that's everything. Like we need to look at that because we love to put our uh, sports figures on pedestals. And then we love to knock them down because for some reason, because we're not them, we don't, you know, like it, it just, we revel in both sides. And I want us to live in a world where we celebrate people and we accept and have compassion and empathy for them. Yes. Oh, so, so many different points that, that yes. uh, you brought up, but also that like obviously going on and factors going on in this, right. I think, you know, there's obviously the mental health stigma, there's the media um, aspect of things. There's, um, there's people who are saying, you know, she's seeking attention or whatever it is. There is, like you said, the, the racial aspects. There is also, um, yeah, the individual sport versus team sport athlete. Um, there's the culture as a whole. There's uh, just so many moving pieces, um, that, that just need to be addressed. And I'm, I'm glad that it's sparking conversation and getting addressed. Right. Yes. Um, Like I know when it, when it first came out, I was like, I I see things from one side because like, like you said, at the start of this podcast, you want to get positive content, positive information. So I follow a lot of accounts that support women in sport and support (laughs) diversity, support equality, support mental health. So everything I'm seeing is like an echo chamber, right? Right. Went onto Facebook and somehow it came into my feed, a bunch of like random, I don't follow like tennis Facebook pages, but like tennis Facebook pages posting articles. So I was like, let me see what people are commenting. Like, usually I don't do that because it's bad for my mental health, but I, I, I speak a lot about athlete mental health. So I want to dive in and see what's happening. The comments were just so heartbreaking, especially as someone who's gone through anxiety and depression. I was like, yeah wow, people don't understand still. And I thought people were, you know, I thought we were getting to this different point, but it was just seeing that other side of things that I usually don't see. It was just so disheartening. There's such a lack of empathy because as you started to say about Naomi Osaka, she is one of the highest, if not the highest woman in sports paid individual in existence at this time. And the higher the pay that that athlete gets, and then also putting in the factor that she is a woman of color and she's a woman, those, you know, all of those are like, you know, they're supposed to be just descriptors, but they become unfortunately like slights against the individual because, you know, uh, different things. But the point is, is that because she gets paid so much, the little guy, and I'm not making us little, but those of us that have never earned anywhere near that echelon of, you know, compensation, it becomes like, look, this is what you get paid for. Like go sit down somewhere. And what are you talking about mental health? Like you're, you're being ridiculous. And oh, you don't want to talk to the press because, you know, they might say something mean to you. Like, oh, poor you. Like, but I'm, you spoke about something when you introduced this subject and you said, Like um, you said something about it's your job. Interestingly enough, I have a job. You have a job. Mm -hmm. We've all made mistakes. I made a mistake probably today that I'm not aware of yet. (laughs) that hasn't come back. But unfortunately, my mistakes or fortunately, excuse me, my mistakes are not going to be broadcast on CNN or ESPN or on some sort of loop constantly reminding me and replaying that mistake over and over and over again. And even if I do make the mistake, no one's going to shove a microphone in my face immediately after it happens it goes so what are you thinking 
Like, you know, how are you feeling about that? That big mess up that you did that caused this, right? And so I just think that it's really easy to sit in behind a computer or in front of a camera or anything and speak about something that you have no firsthand experience about. And so I'm not making them wrong. I understand why they feel the way they feel. And it is, it you know, like they just play a game. But I don't think you're really factoring in what it is to be on everybody's topic of conversation, television channel, re, you know, video replays. And um, someone said something in a clubhouse room yesterday that I want to speak to this. Her name was Vanessa and she was a, um, a uh, retired WNBA player. And it was something that even though I work with athletes, I have always said, you know, next play speed. And you know what that means, which is just move on to the next thing. So if you make a mistake as, you know, Natalie's a snowboarder and you, you know, it's just like, okay, next run, next, whatever. But the thing is, is that when you're in the Olympics or you're on the top tier of athletics, there's a video of that mistake and the whole world is watching you make that mistake. And then they're going to replay it and replay it. And so it's like, they don't, how do we train the athlete to move on to the next play when the world is reminding you? over and over and over of that mistake. And so I just, I was like, that was just, I don't know why it was so epiphanous for me because it should be something that was obvious, but I didn't really consider it. And I think it's because, you know, when I, even though I work with some professional athletes, I mean, they've talked about it, but it's like, wow, like, you know, the gravity of that and just kind of putting yourself in their shoes, I think is so important. Right. Like you have a lot of people who say, I'm scared to go out and start a business or whatever. And it's like, who is actually going to watch you fail? They're scared of, you know, putting themselves out there. I was like, your mom, your dad, and your, your girlfriend. Right. But like right. sports, you have millions of people who are watching you have sponsored. Everything relies on that performance. Um, and so I think people don't really understand that. And you also, you spoke about the monetary aspect and, yeah. um, what I think is interesting is like the studies have shown us that past, I think it's like a hundred some that like, I know it's past 75,000, um, the degree of like satisfaction, life satisfaction and happiness with money, it starts to diminish. And then it's past, I think a hundred something where it's literally, it starts going down. Like the more yeah. money you have, it goes down. Right. And she's so we're talking about, she's so young. She's got this money so quickly. People seem to still correlate. So that's like also the world's view on success is still right. so skewed because we think money equals happiness and it's not true. And it's like, not. not to say I had money when I was at the top of the snowboard game, I didn't, I was trying to make the Olympics. Right. That's, you know, there's, it's not a high paid endeavor in that sense. Um, but uh, people still thought, oh, you're living this dream. You're traveling around the world, snowboarding and doing this. And that's what prevented me from ever speaking about my mental health. And it made me feel guilty to the point every morning I'd wake up and be like, I just want to be at home, not here. And then I would yeah. beat myself up. Like, no, that's so wrong for me to think about right. that because everyone says I'm living the dream. This was my dream when I was 13. Like it's so wrong for me to be depressed when I'm living this dream life. Right. And so I think that narrative is totally wrong. And then right. To what you said of, yeah, just people watching, um, people replaying. It's just, it's so interesting that it is true, that narrative of when you're at the top, people want to drag you down. And it's like, when I watch F1, I love Lewis Hamilton as a person, everything he stands yeah. for, the activism, but it's very easy to root against him. Like I cheer for Red Bull because I'm like, Lewis has won everything. I just want to <laughs> see some drama in the race, right? So yeah. it's human nature to seek drama, but I wish we would just see it in performances, right? Like we can cheer for different teams. I don't 
I'm sorry. I don't, I, I know I'm interrupting. I don't know if it is that we want drama. I think it's just something yeah. about we love an underdog. We don't like the same person to win all the time because we want to believe that it's possible for us to win because we identify with that underdog. And, and although mo- some of us have been even in sports, that undefeated person, we, you know, once we become not that person, it's like, you know, Floyd Mayweather, he wins all of his fights. They're boring. He plays a defensive fighter. He's a smart boxer, but it's like, I just want somebody to knock him out. And I'm like, why, Bryn? Why are you rooting against this master a precision boxer you know and so then it just becomes like you have to check yourself like what is it that makes you hunger and I mean I'm not saying that we don't love drama I just want to add that I just think people just really want to believe through everything comes back to us and so they just want to believe that the underdog wins sometimes and that it can't always be the, 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 the powerhouse, whatever that is at the time. Right. You want to see yourself in someone else. And most of us aren't in the position of like, we're the top dog for so long right. in our past. So exactly. storylines that, that makes a lot of sense. I get into a lot of uh, funny arguments with, with my boyfriend about it because we watch all these different sports and he never cheers for the person on top. And then he always has like a chip on his shoulder about them. Yes. Like whether it's CrossFit F1, he's like, oh, all his friends, they don't like Lewis. Hamilton I'm like no 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 and I'm like and and they make fun of me because I like him but I'm like well I'm actually right. for team Red Bull but right. I still really respect and like Lewis and then same in CrossFit I'm like I cheer for the person who's won five times or four times in a row but I'm like because I just I've spent so much time talking to other athletes and just with yeah. my own path that I know the mindset and what they go through in their mental health and their mindset to stay on top because they have to deal with these people rooting against them. They have to deal with all these things. And so for me, it's harder for you to like stay at that level for so long than to be that person coming up. And it was uh, something else that you said earlier, which was, you know, like when we talk about the compensation of Naomi Osaka, it is a byproduct of her being the best in the world. It is not why she plays tennis. I want to be clear about that. Like, I'm not saying that, She's not enjoying the perks and it may have changed her entire family's legacy and things like that. But she didn't get into tennis because she heard that they get paid a lot. (laughs) You know, she she's wanted to be good at a game she loved. And unfortunately, what happens and you, you kind of understand this when you work with athletes and you get more into the higher levels of the sport, that enjoyment goes down as the stakes get higher because it becomes more about the precision, the, the winning, the, you know, like I have an NBA uh, athlete that I work with and he was saying like, you know, I, they can talk bad about you for weeks on weeks on weeks. You can have a good game or a good string of games, but they don't report back on that. They don't go back and go, Oh, things have turned around. They're back or whatever. It's just like, the, the media like uses whatever is going to sell advertising and marketing at the time. And so there's not a lot of care and concern about the person in the uniform. And so when an athlete like Naomi comes out and says, yo, this is what I need. And so, and then willing to pay the fine because if it's in her contract, which I don't know anything about how that all works, but I think what I was most sad about in that situation was, of course, not this, the, the, the tennis federation not supporting her and those things, but other athletes actually coming out and kind of being like, yeah, you know, and I, I know some people are just speaking to their own experience and I'm happy about that. I just want there to also be a statement that says, you know, but I support you know, whatever an athlete says that they need for their mental health. Like, you know, Billie Jean King's like, yeah, you know, the press is part of your job, but it's like, 
Yeah, but during your era, you hid your sexuality for some portion of the world. And then you came out and were this advocate, but there was a cost to you at that. And I think speaking to that and being able to speak to your own challenges with mental health is that time to join with that athlete and not to criticize their way of going about it. Yeah, maybe it's because she's not mature enough. Maybe it's she's not battle tested enough. You can make all these arguments. It doesn't matter. She asked for it. She got she needed it. And it was our job to give it to her. Yes. Uh, so well put. And I think like when you go back to like Billie Jean King's era, uh, when I was looking at some of the comments, there was a few positive ones on those tennis Facebook posts. Um, and it was someone who explained, I didn't know this was the case that before in tennis, you used to have like the time to go shower, eat all these things, and then come back and do press. But now it's immediately after when you think of how grueling in the sun playing for that long, like I know when I do any sort of sport, my mind is not there. And so if you're already dealing with like depression and different things, Oh my gosh. Like on a good day, I'm moody. And when I need to eat and drink and hydrate after training, right. So, or after a competition. So it's just so crazy to put them under that stress where, especially they'd be so worried about saying the wrong thing. Like I would say things in workouts or right after a workout that I would never say normally. Right. And so you're so cautious about saying the wrong thing because you could lose a sponsor and there goes half your income. That's so important. Like you understand that they're right. They have to represent themselves, but they don't get to represent themselves. They have to represent a version of themselves that keeps everything kosher and keeps us loving them. And so it's that thing of like, and being an introvert and not being, like she said, a natural born speaker, it's this feeling that I just, I don't know what I can say in this moment. And then by the reporter putting that question, maybe I wasn't even thinking about that, but now you got me thinking about that. And, you know, when she says they put doubt in you and yeah, I mean, nobody can put doubt in your mind, but yeah, people talking to you and you're, you know, you're in a vulnerable state, tired, exhausted, (laughs) defeated after your loss. That's not the best time to be facing some sort of, you know, battle of like a bunch of people and a barrage of questions that are aimed at like, hey, so how does it feel to lose? I don't know. How does it feel to lose? I mean, I've never seen a loser that's like, yes, this is amazing. You know what? I was I got through the second set better than I thought I would. You know, I, and maybe that is the victory after processing the loss. But I don't think that comes immediately after and seeing people cry. And even watching the women's um, national championship, I don't know if you watch theirs, but, you know, they're like crying, trying to keep their composure. Serena Williams has walked out of a press conference because she could not keep it together. And LeBron James has gotten upset and walked out of a press conference. So it's it's happening all the time. And so I think um, and I know you want to maybe not just talk about Naomi Osaka, but I think in general, it's just maybe some sensitivity training for the press and asking like, what is the benefit? I understand you have to sell publications. I understand that there's pressure to get the best thing, but I think there's also something to be like, you know, to be an advocate for the athlete and still be able to report the story and just say, you know, like what's a question you could ask after a competition. If you, you're going to still have to do it immediately after that doesn't totally debilitate or I don't know, devastate their confidence. Right. Right. Yeah. And it could just not be the individual journalists, right? Like she said that there's some great journalists, but it's, it's just the culture as a whole and they have a job to do and they're pressured to get a certain outcome. Um, And so it's just unfortunate before we move on to another topic, I just want to talk quickly about just the whole underlying message that I, I saw from the press, from negative comments was that people still don't see mental health just as health. Like I was, I know I shared something on my story that someone posted, which I was really well said about talking about, you know, you have the flu, so you can't do some parts of the job and like looking at it in that comparison. I actually earlier uh, yesterday 
was having a summer, I was having a conversation and making that exact same where someone was like kind of skeptical or saying like, it is part of the job though. So like it, it makes sense. It doesn't make sense that she should get kicked out or anything, but like right. she, she would get fined. And, and so, you know, she's paying that cost for, to protect her self care, which for her is, you know, not too much money compared to what she makes. And right. so I said, I said, that's, that, that is true. But think about the fact, like in, in the world, we need to change this, this culture and this belief, because for example, if I say to my, if I go to work, say I work a nine to five and I've broken, um, my right writing arm, let's say, or my wrist. And I tell them, Hey, like I've broken my wrist, so I can't really do the writing that I need to do, but they're not going to say, Oh, you don't do your job in whole. They'll say maybe, okay, we can do some of the typing. So for Naomi, maybe she's, she still wants to play the tennis. She's going through depression, but tennis right. is probably her outlet, right? Like a lot of us as athletes right. or the sport is our outlet. It's dealing with those other side things. So she's like, I can't really handle this part of my job right now, but I'm going to focus on doing the best in this part. And usually, right. you know, it should be okay. That's fine. But because it's something mental and people can't see, we, people still don't understand. It and there's still that yeah. stigma. So we're not quite there yet with that mental health no. is just health, which is, I thought we were a little bit further and it's just, it's so unfortunate. Well, I think like you, that's just the best part about what you said was that it's an, um, uh, Val Whiting was on my podcast. You played in the WNBA and she calls it an invisible injury. Like she was unable at times to go into the game because she was struggling with depression and she was a starter. And so the coach was trying to put her in and she was like, not, not, not. And this is a game that she loved. And so similarly, like, you know, we need to be compassionate to know that. And like you said, the health part. Okay. When someone says, this is what I need for my mental health. Like, yes, Naomi had to come out and say, um, she didn't have to, but she felt she had to, because people were getting on her. Like I've struggled with depression. And so if you're just having a bad day at the tennis court, like that's not the same. And I'm like, Whoa, nobody gets to tell. I've already spoke about that. But in essence, it was just this idea that even if she didn't ever struggle with depression, anxiety, any of these buzzwords and diagnoses or labels, as you know, we like to put on people, the end of the day is if I'm advocating for something I need for mental health so that it does not turn into a diagnosis or a condition or a you know chronic whatever, then that is what it is. I need this because it's 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 taking its toll on me and I don't want it to turn into a thing. And so I think that's interesting. And so I was just in a clubhouse room prior to this. So they were talking about that in clubhouses, the audio app we already talked about. That's where we kind of connected. Um, we did connect, (laughs) but the point is, is that it is about like, it's just health. And when we talk about what she was being fined, healthcare is one of the biggest costs of your life. And so you either pay it upfront or you pay for it down the road, right? If I don't eat the right diet, if I don't take the right vitamins or, you know, take care of my body, it's going to fall apart on me. And then I'm going to be paying out the nose for healthcare. So even though people say, like you said, you know, like she's making a ton of money, but comparison to what she was going to be fined, which would have been about 250,000 if she was fined $15,000 a day, throughout the two weeks of the French open is what it came out to be. But if you think 250,000 on her mental health compared to right, like what the cost of not having her mental health, not being able to make 50 million anymore, not being able to be in that area, that is a small price to pay. And then when you put it in context, when you scale down a map, right. (laughs) To where you're at, would you pay that if it meant the difference between you know, one or the other. So I think that once we can put ourselves in her shoes and look at it from that perspective and also realize that someone does not have to be bleeding 
for us to have compassion. Someone does not have to be, you know, like have a visible injury. We just need to say, if someone says, yo, I'm having trouble, we take it seriously. I don't know if you know this, but as a, um, I'm a, I'm a mandated reporter in the school district and not that part. <laughs> I know you don't know that, but the part about um, if a child says anything like suicide ideation, we don't go, I don't know, probably not serious. This kid, we explore it. We investigate it. Yeah. Um, not investigate like, you know, but we ask questions and there's this, this protocol you go through because you just don't know. And so we need to have that same level of in and not, not saying that suicide and mental health, like, you know, again, I'm not trying to couple it with mental illness or, you know, something severe. Um, but I just want people to get that, that like, we just need to take it seriously. Someone says it, yeah. I'm going to take it seriously until something comes along that would have us be able to clinically, you know, not clinically, but I don't know the word I'm looking for, but definitively say, you know what, this isn't that. So, yeah, no, totally agree. And I think a great tip out there, if uh, the, from what you just said, if anyone is listening and, and they're struggling as an athlete or whatever is, you know, if you can to advocate for yourself and to also look at things in the big picture, rather than trying to push through, even if you're at the height of your career or you're starting a new business or whatever it is, Think about the longevity that you want to have in, in your life and going back to being someone who's happy-go-lucky and ecstatic and optimistic for the future. Yeah. Think about, you know, if you need to take the days off, if you need to take the year off, if you need to make a big transition. Like, I think we need to normalize making decisions based off our mental health yes, um, because it is very important. And like anyone else, you know, you have a injury and you know, Oh, I can't get another concussion or I can't, you know, tear my knee again or because then I'll never be able to walk. I think it's very similar. It's like, no, you need to, you know, take that step back to deal with your mental health because you don't want it to go to the point where you might not be able to come back from, or it will take a lot longer to come back from. Absolutely. Awesome. So yeah, that was great to, to chat about Naomi Osaka. I know you'd have, I knew you have a lot of thoughts. I knew we, we booked this before that even happened, Yeah. but I was glad that we were able to, to touch on it. I think it's just so important and so relevant with everything going on right now. And we talk a lot about mental health on this podcast, but now I want to shift into, you know, talking about mental performance. Um, yeah. So what, what got you into the whole realm of mental performance before we go into maybe some tips and different things? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I am a former D1 athlete um, and and I was not into the mental game at all. I ran track. Um, I, I, you know, I just knew how to go fast. <laughs> you know, when the gun goes off, do what you're supposed to do. I was varsity all through um, high school, had all these medals. Then I went to college. I was definitely a very, very small fish in a big pond at Michigan State. But I was able to walk on, which I'm proud of now with some context because I kept thinking like, what? I mean, it just happened. It's what I wanted to do. But I realize now that it takes a lot to walk on to a division one, you know, school and all that. And so, um, but I, I didn't really get into mindset until I was post sports career. And I really just kind of, you know, like I was just, I was complaining, you know, like the hard workouts and I think all athletes go through that, but I just didn't realize like what my, my, my mindset. So I think often what I could have been had I had the things I know now, when I was running, because I only knew how to do what I was good at and, you know, and do what my coaches told me to do. And so I got into mindset 
in general. And then I was always using sports analogies because I've always loved, you know, athletics and sports, even if I didn't participate in all of them, because I ran back, I, I, I did basketball for a few years and ran track. Those were my two sports, uh, but I track was the one that took me all the way. Um, but ultimately I just started with basketball, which is my favorite sport and started with a team. Once I decided that I was like, you know, maybe I should work with athletes. And then, um, I, you know, just being able to apply what I was already doing as a motivation speaker and giving all these this stuff and bringing that all of the studies of all the things I've read about mindset and, and applying it to the performance aspect and so just sort of marrying my two loves of mindset and sports and that's how I got into it I love it so I want to uh, I want to talk about like what are some of the daily habits or daily actions that you see overall uh, when it comes to high performers in general so a big thing is self-awareness. Um, I start everywhere with my athletes with awareness. Of course, it's easy to say that if you're in that space, but it's like, if you're listening to this right now, just what are you aware of? And most people will say, I'm aware that I'm listening to a podcast or I'm aware like right now I'm sitting on, a, I'm talking to Natalie on a computer and stuff, but there's so many different levels of awareness. So we can go external and think about all that, but then there's the, you know, the fact that what's the temperature like in the room that you're in? What is it? feel like to be in the chair that you're in and then what's going on internally in your body emotionally are you aware of your heart beating are you aware and so self-awareness on that level just on the physical and going all the way on the different levels and then the emotional and then there's going into the psychological what are you know like there's you know like what are you aware of of yourself like what are your habits what are your patterns because the first step to any change is awareness. And if I'm not aware of it, I can't change it. I know I need to change something, but I don't know what to change. You know, people say like, they like to use words, like, especially in our space. And you know this, Natalie, um, <laughs> focus, concentrate, consistency. They're just words and they don't, but nobody teaches you how to be consistent. Nobody teaches you how to focus. And so that's what we're, um, I'm really talking about is like, let's talk about awareness. How can we become aware? And, and then, then once we figure out what's going on, what adjustments do we need to make to get it to the level that we want so that we can then affect our um, performance? Mm, yeah. So I love that you brought up consistency because I think it's something that almost every athlete that's been on here talks about is like consistency is the most important over even like intensity, right? Is just showing up and being consistent. So let's dive into that. How can someone who's listening become more consistent? Well, here's the thing. Uh, I, I did a post about this not too long ago. You're all consistent. <laughs> so it's not about being consistent. You're consistent. The question is, what are you consistent in? Yes. So <laughs> every day I get up and I get up around the same time. I do the same habits. So I'm being consistent. But we're talking about being intentionally consistent yeah. towards a goal, a task or an objective, OK, or an outcome. So a lot of times, sometimes we're too focused on the outcome or the goal and not focused on the process. All right. So the first thing is sometimes starting with the goal and working backwards. So here's where I want to be in a year. So what's what's that going to look like? What do, where do I need to be at the six month mark? Where do I need to be at the three month mark? Where do I need to be at the one week mark? Where do I need to be at the tomorrow mark? Okay. And then talk about what are the habits and the patterns or the behaviors that I'm going to need to put into place to accomplish each one of those benchmarks along the way, because the key is to bite size it, by the way, because 
I ran a marathon a long time ago and uh, I had a, a end goal, but I did not have a one mile marker. I did not have a five mile and so on and so forth. And um, I didn't accomplish my goal for more than one reason, but that was one of them because mentally to run for four hours and 20 minutes without any sort of victory or celebration along the way is tough. And that's what we're talking this younger generation, this microwave society. So when we're talking about being consistent. One, you got to bite size your goals. Okay. Two, you got to become aware of what are you being consistent in and is that moving you towards or away from your goal? And then now add intention to it, sprinkle a little intention in the recipe. And where do you want to intentionally readjust and refocus and pivot towards the objective that's at hand? And so that comes with sometimes changing your, not just your habits and patterns, but starting with your identity. Who do I want to be in that process or who do I need to be in that process? So part of it is if I'm really attached to this identity that I'm a procrastinator, that's probably not going to serve me in this journey. So maybe just changing, and you read Atomic Habits, the identity that I spring from, that's going to make quite a difference on the journey. Like, you know what? I'm a person who gets things done. I'm a person who's consistently putting hard work and effort into everything I do. I'm consistently visualizing. I'm consistently. So that would be my answer to that question. Well, I love that reframe of intentionally consistent because it's true, right? If you're, if you say, I want to wake up every day at 6 a.m. Um, and you're like, I just can't be consistent with it. Well, you're consistently sleeping in. So, <laughs> so that you're being consistent with something. So thinking about, okay, what is that habit that you want to change? And is that serving the goal that you have? Because chances are your goal isn't wake up at 6 a.m. It's wake up at 6 a.m. because I will get more done towards my goal of doing X. Or um, I know that's what I need to do because it improves my energy. I see the sunlight, the morning light, like whatever that is. Right. Yeah, and I want to add, uh, that's be, uh, sorry, you, you, you did a good uh, parallel to what I was saying or drew a nice line for me that I just want to emphasize. The goal pulls you, right? Like you said, if you just have a, like, I just want to be consistent in waking up early. Why? And they talk about, you know, Simon Sinek talks, you know, he's famously quoted for what's your why. He's not the first person to ever talk about it, but he's the guy now. But it's this idea that that's why that big goal is there. But the bite-sized goal along the way is what kind of keeps it. But that goal should pull you and propel you to say like, you know, I get up at 4.30 in the morning. Do I love when my alarm goes off at 4.30? Absolutely not. But I get up because I am I am committed. So committed is also a part of the consistency to becoming the person that gets things done. And I've seen my productivity when I get up at 4.30 versus when I, during the pandemic, at times I was getting up at nine, 10 o'clock. So. Right. And that's, that's the thing, right? Like you can go online and you can see every guru say, wake up at this time, eat this, sleep this long, do this, but it's going to be different for everybody. And I think it's important that people recognize that even the tips that the athletes, coaches, the amazing people who come on this podcast share, um, that those tips they're sharing what's best for them. Um, and it leads them to their goals. It might not be what's best for you. Exactly. For example, I used to, uh, now I wake up pretty early because I'm managing a business and still training and trying to do a lot in my day. But when I was only training as an athlete, I remember talking to my coach and I said, everyone says I should wake up at like 5am. Should I be doing it? He's like, no. And I was like, well, why? Like I isn't, am I supposed to be someone who's like hard worker and wakes up early? 
He's like, you need more sleep because you're training like eight hours a day. So in, you don't have to be up for, to train before your work because you're literally just training. So what's, what is that habit going to serve you? It's only going to decrease the amount of sleep you can have change up your schedule that doesn't need to be messed up. And so just recognizing some of these things. So for anyone listening, like check in with your own schedule and check in with your own goals and don't just adopt someone else's habits that serve their goals, make your own habits, serve your own goals. Absolutely. Could not agree more. <laughs> so I want to dive into something you posted about recently, which is the concept of a mental diet. Could you walk through that and what it means? Yes. Um, so we're all, uh, there's enough uh, talk out there about what you put in your body when it comes through your mouth, right? So when it comes to food, dieting, you know, even the word diet is kind of has its own connotation and I'm not supporting dieting or not dieting. I mean, you know, but when I, I wanted to post about this because I'm very cognizant. This is why I went vegan, not because I care about animals, which I do or anything like that, but it's like, I became aware of my own mental diet. So if you look at the way animals are treated in our country or in the way in our agriculture, there's not a lot of quality of life. There's a lot of fear in that process. And then we're consuming that fear because the animals killed in fear. And then that's in our food. We're already, and I'm not, again, advocating for veganism because like Natalie just so eloquently said, find what's right for you, but I'm telling you what my journey was. And so in that process, when we talk about a mental diet, I just became aware of like, wait, I'm having enough challenge, like, you know, auditing and, you know, correcting what's going on upstairs. I don't need any help in the department of what I put in my mouth via my food. So then it became, okay, well, what kind of movies do you watch? A lot of killing, a lot of murder. Fun fact, your brain does not know the difference between a murder on the screen and a murder in real life because you're attached to that character. You're going on the journey. The movie takes you and transports you if it's good and you're into it. And so in that moment, you have some sort of attachment to that character. You've cried after a movie, you've you've weeped, wept, or you've gotten excited about them killing somebody, but we've become desensitized to that violence, you know, and um, so is there a lot of killing and gore in the movies you watch, okay? Or the quality of the, um, what's the music we're talking about? A lot of like, you know, if you're listening to certain types of music that preach a lot of sad messages. And so like, you know, a lot of love songs all by myself, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm alone. You know, it's all these messages that are reinforcing some of our limiting beliefs, some of our fears and, you know, solidifying them inside of us. And I'm not saying that I don't love those songs or that music, but I just, when I talk about a mental diet, I'm saying, look at everything that you're consuming on a daily basis. I don't watch the news, by the way. <laughs> like the, the news is nothing but to sell, to keep you watching. So if they lead with somebody got killed, hey, somebody robbed somebody, this happened. Here's the, the fun fact about the news. And um, more people made it home safely yesterday than people who didn't. But they, that doesn't sell advertising. Right. So if like more times banks don't get robbed than they do more people, you know, actually uh, drive safely in cars than don't. And so but that is not no, we don't have time to have cameras on all of the good stuff that's happening. We only and this is, you know, this is why people like love, like you said, they're attracted to the oh, that could happen to me. Oh, OK, good. Now that I know that danger is out there, I'll be safer. Right. But it's like it's almost like now we're saying danger is around every corner. Right. So it's this idea of like being cognizant. Like, why am I watching the news first thing in the morning, turning on the news, reading the newspaper? What you know, your brain is just waking up and you're giving yourself this. 
um, emotionally. Who are you around? Okay. Do you need to be around certain people? Audit your circle. Are you around a bunch of blamers, complainers, and negative Nancys um, or negative Nathans? Because I don't want to just make it seem like women are negative, but <laughs> or negative by by uh, non-binary people. But the point is, is that whatever it is, just consider um, you know going on a mental diet. So look at everywhere you're consuming things through your eyes, ears, mouth, and senses, and all of that. And, uh, and then once you've done that, I think in general, just becoming more positive will start to make that shift automatically. And then that'll help you with, and then we can talk about kind of lasering in other areas. I think that the concept of the mental diet is just so important because I think our environment is everything. And, um, some people, especially people who score very high on empathy, um, and like adaptability environment really matters a lot. Like, like yeah. what you said, like, um, it's kind of a joke. I saw some TikTok talks about it the other day, um, people were all relating to, um, they're like, oh, ready to go to the movie theater so I can take on the character's uh, personality for the next two weeks. And I said, oh my gosh, that's so funny because I remember when I was kind of feeling low, I started, I was watching like Vampire Diaries and I started putting myself in the sense of like being in this uh, conflict between like loving this person and then this, I'm like, you know, you just take on those people and then dealing with these heavy decisions of like, being a vampire. I don't know, like just crazy. Right. This is when I was a teen. And, um, and I'm like, that actually probably wasn't the best way to pull me out of not feeling so good. Right. Like I watched something with a more positive message rather than taking on these characters, emotional trauma on top of my own. It just doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. and sometimes like, you know, it is kind of the fun part about life and that's what makes TV shows and movies fun is you can kind of almost role play and pretend to be somebody else and go into these fictional yeah. scenarios that you never would in real life. But I don't think it's conducive to, to, you know, we just have to be aware of it in our everyday life and how it will affect us. Like I said, with the cookie, like no shame yeah. in eating the cookie. Right. But I know how it's going to make me feel. And so I'm at least aware of those things. And we're not talking about a one-off, right? Like you watch that movie and now like um, hardly anything I watch has any blood, guts and gore. But now when I watch it, I still, now I'm still aware of how that affects me. But like, if you're watching romantic comedy after romantic comedy, or you're watching all of these shows where uh, the only way they sell that show to keep watching is to keep having these couples sort of come together and then break up, come together and break up. So what is that teaching you about love, teaching you about relationship? And so it's reinforcing messages in our mind. And then we go, but it doesn't affect me. But yet I believe that relationships don't work out because that's what I see reflected to me everywhere. And now that's what I'm looking for is relationships that don't work out because the reticular activating system, we all know the more that we are once we become aware of something we see it everywhere yeah. and so once you tune yourself to a frequency you will tune into that frequency in the world and so I'm not suggesting that oh, art is bad and those of you that are like it doesn't affect me there's a lot happening under the the surface that you're not taking into account and I'm not here to demonize all television that's fine watch what you want to watch just be aware that it's having an effect on your worldview and is it a worldview that you really want to keep Yes, that, that's so important. That's a conversation I've had with several people. I said like, hey, like, why are you watching this first thing in the morning? Like, yes. don't like, I understand if you, you really like this show or whatever it is, that's, that's totally fine. But just, I would suggest just waiting a little bit. You're even more influence, influenceable yeah. uh, with your mind right in the morning and right at night because you're kind mm -hmm. of in that fatigue state and you're coming, shifting into an energetic state. And so um, I think you just got to be really mindful about those things. And it's also, we can use these things to our advantage. Like one of the easiest ways to 
I think to, you know, change your life or build these positive habits is change your environment. I remember, I, I think I shared a post uh, last December about, you don't need to change your entire life, your entire routine on January 1st, you can do it slowly. But I, when I moved here, I actually was able to build kind of a different routine because I moved houses and I moved in with my partner. It was like a whole entire environment where I had so much less going on externally that I could kind of create this new routine with this entirely new environment shift. But if you're in your old environment and you're trying to create this entire life change, one, it's going to be extremely difficult. So you got to do it, you know, slowly. And you quoted Atomic Habits earlier. That's a big part in that book. So definitely highly recommend that people read that book if you haven't already. Um, But yeah, or sometimes you do got to change the environment. I was, I think, is it in Atomic Habits where they were talking about the heroin addiction from the war and how like such a high percentage of them had this addiction when they came back it was like eliminated by so many of them, like cold Turkey, like they weren't addicted anymore. They just never took it because it wasn't around them. wasn't in the environment. They weren't hanging around the same people versus the uh, addiction recovery rates for, especially for heroin, just in the general public is so vastly different than that scenario. But it's because those people get out of rehab and go right back in with the same friends, with their family. And it's so hard to make change when you're right back into that same situation. Yeah. And another aspect of that story that I find very powerful because I'm really into the mind and I don't want, you know, I, I'm not underscoring the importance of what we just talked about with environment, but the psychological power of an individual to overcome a drug like heroin, right? Just by putting yourself in a different situation, you don't, so people, you know, it would be unheard of for someone to say, so you're saying that I won't want heroin anymore if I just don't hang around heroin users. No, that's not possible. It's a physically addicting drug, but yet it was possible. And so I think it's important to understand that no one gets to tell you what's possible for your mind and what you can do with the power. I mean, just the the brain is the biggest computer we have. Like it can, it can outprocess any computer in the world. And people say, well, I don't know about that. Mike, listen, science is great. And science is definitely catching up with some of the metaphysical and spiritual stuff that I believe. And yet I don't think that there is ever going to be the measure of a human and the potential and capability of what's possible for us. And so I just want to add that, that while all of those things are great and they're going to encounter, especially in the world of athletics, people are going to tell you what's possible and what's not possible for you. The only person that actually gets to decide that is you. It's so important. And I love what you said earlier about, you know, if you you've considered yourself a procrastinator, you're going to have to ditch that identity piece if you want to build something different. And um, some really good feedback that that came into my mind that I got, I think last year when I started even this podcast social media account, I wanted to post like daily positive messages, but different messages about mindset and different things. And I got a message from an old snowboard friend and she said, I love this because all the memes and like quotes that people always share and on their story and with their friends, they're always like satirical and they're always like, you know, it's a joke about being a procrastinator. It's a joke about, right. And that's like so popular in our culture, but I Mm -hmm. think that just perpetuates our identity with these negative habits. So I was like, yeah, that's so true. And so whenever I create a lot of uh, content, I'm like, oh, I could like make fun of, you know, these negative thoughts that come into my mind when I'm doing this, or I can make fun of this. And like that would go viral, but I'm like, but that's not the message I want to put out, but I know it's what everyone is consuming, but I'm like, that's, I want to shift that even if it's not going to get the the same amount of views or the same amount of shares, but it is unfortunate that as we share those things with our peers, we just relate that back to our identity more and more. And we make it okay for us to just, 
be okay now we're just procrastinators we're all procrastinators and, yeah. and there's something that's to be said about like normalizing some of these things and um of course but I don't think that moves us forward towards our goals in any way yeah they say that the leading edge is not crowded and so like if you want to be out there and you want to be a leader in especially when it comes to positivity it's not going to be so crowded. There's enough people around the water. There's more people around the water cooler than the guy that's sitting at his desk who's listening to like a positive song or something like that. And, you know, the complainers are always going to outnumber the, you know, well, I don't want to say always. I, that's not true. But in general, um, you know, and Gary Vee talks about this, make positivity louder. And so we as a society have the power to shift. And the planet is shifting and it's happening just like anything at a very slow pace that you can't almost see it, but it's happening. And so it's all of our jobs to sort of jump on the scale on the positive side and say, you know, yeah, if I talk negative to, if I do some sort of piece where I'm challenging something like even the Naomi Osaka, I'm going to get way more stuff. I've made an entire month of positive videos called the daily rep, 19 views, five likes, you know, very small, you know, and I don't have the hugest following on social media, but what I know is your friend is out there and needing that message. And so I'm making that content for that one person that needs it. And I think that that's important as someone who works in the mental performance space, there's some, and if you work with athletes in any way, just know that um, if you are on the positive, yes, there's plenty of people spouting the same messages. But if you're saying anything that comes from an authentic place that is helpful from your own experience, there's someone that needs to hear that message. And it's not necessarily Natalie or my job to say it because it didn't come from us, you know, and, and we're speaking to our experience. So everybody, you know, has an audience and we just need to make sure that we're continually cultivating, not just on the, I'm just going to keep making this content, but like, I believe that this is the way to go. And we just need to like enroll more people in that instead of uh, just kind of throwing up the white flag and being like, look, negativity is always going to be louder. No, it's not. One day it won't be as long as we keep still <laughs> making our little strides and in inches, just like anything in sports. It's not necessarily the overnight success is a myth. You know, it's actually the years and years that you didn't see behind the scenes. And so same thing with positivity. It's making a comeback. <laughs> yes. Well, I appreciate your commitment to putting out positive content. I think it's so important and much needed in this world. And I'll, I'll make one relation to anyone listening um, that hopefully like drives this point home is when I was depressed, I would look up like, you know, depressed memes and they're funny. Like it's like just yeah. talking about like, um, you know, just different situations are like, oh no, I'm depressed. And it makes just jokes right. about it. And so it, it made me feel better for a while, but then it made me just instill that, that, um, just that identity piece that yeah. you know, I am a depressed person. I've been diagnosed with depression. Yes. This is who I am versus then when I shifted and started seeing, okay, what's positive? What are these new experiences I can seek out? What are these other things I can do and not follow these depressed meme accounts yeah. or these like really deep quotes that were like, just making me feel sad all the time. I was like, oh, wow, this is a whole new world. Like uh, my mood changed, everything was different, right? And so now yeah. I can like see those things in little doses and be like, oh, that is really funny. Send that to my boyfriend, like it's a joke or whatever, because I'm yeah. like out of that for long enough. But I think it is a dangerous point to get into. And it is why, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of teen depression, a lot of teen mental health, but they start sharing these things back and forth and it becomes more of an identity. And so we, we latch on and there's, there's nothing, you know, wrong with that. It's okay not to be okay. And, um, it is normal to want to, you know, feel accepted and, 
but I think it is, it is like a downward spiral when everything we see is all about this diagnosis we've been given or whatever it is. Um, versus if we see some of the opposite, some of the positive things that can help pull yeah. us out and see a different, different side of things so that we can let go of that identity. You, um, it's perhaps controversial to say, but, um, yeah, you, what you're talking about there is like, gosh, so powerful. Like that whole thing about like, Hey, I I'm diagnosed clinically depressed. I'm diagnosed um, bipolar. I have anxiety. Um, and I'm not, I'm not at all demeaning or, you know, putting a mark against the psychologist, psychologist or psychiatrist and what they do. Um, because, um, but even then I've been talking to some sports psychologists and they will tell you that, Labels, these are these these labels are designed to help with treatment, but not necessarily to be wrapped up in identity. This was not designed to be something that you wear as something for the rest of your life. And like, hey, I have depression. It's incurable. And so and and maybe that's controversial. And so I'm fine if you don't agree with me. But I do not believe that we have to be depressed for the rest of our lives. Now, I understand if you're on medication, you need to do what you think is best and follow your doctor's advice and follow treatment protocols that you think are best. Um, And I think that even in the midst of like, hey, I've been diagnosed depressed. Okay, cool. Let's follow whatever the protocol. But then also, how are we feeding ourselves in a way that doesn't allow us to lean on that diagnosis or lean on that label so that I don't actually have to do work? And I'm not saying that depressed people are not trying to get out of depression. I know they are. I'm just saying that I think there's a point where it's just like, look, there's nothing I can do about it. It's who I am. And I'm like, no, it's something you're experiencing. It's not necessarily who you are. And so that's just something I want to make a distinction about. And I'm happy for you to you know, send some fire my way if you don't agree. So. No, I, I think I know what, what you're yeah. getting at and what you're saying. And I think it is it is very easy. And like I have so much empathy because I went through the same thing where yeah. I made it part of my identity when I was going through it. Um, for sure. But I think it doesn't help in that recovery process, but it's so easy because you get, that's the thing with depression that people don't understand. And, you know, you you can talk about it and I can talk about it in this way. And I, I know neither of us mean it as a way diminishing people who are depressed. Um, but it's because like, I've been there and I understand that when you are in it, it is so hard to get out of it. And it is so hard to see a different way. It's hard to even see yourself how you were when you were happy. Yeah. Future that you could be a different person again. Um, That's just the way that that like that illness works. And so it is very easy to make it part of your identity and share these memes and do those things. But so it is an uphill battle to release that identity and try to say, okay, this is something I'm going through, but I'm, if I can really fight my way out of this, maybe it's not something I always go through. And for example, like I was diagnosed with anxiety, I've been diagnosed with ADHD and those are things like, sure, maybe that diagnosis follows me for my life, but those are just things like I go through anxious bouts, but I know how to deal with it now. And so I deal with anxiety, but I'm not, you know, I am not, I don't go to people and say, Hey, I am just anxious all the time, or, you know, I've worked hard to make sure I'm not anxious all the time, or uh, I have ADHD. And for sure, that's something that, you know, when it comes to maybe speaking or um, my daily focus process, I have to deal with every single day, but I'm not just going to make that my whole identity and change everything and say, well, I can't do any of these things because I have it. Right. Um, So I think there is like that differentiator there. So I appreciate you sharing 
Sharon? No, and I think, I mean, and just to like kind of end cap this, this kind of goes back to the conversation about Naomi and athletes and identity. And we've talked about this at length on so many occasions. And it's just that I, the idea, and the reason I make the distinction between, like you even said, I am feeling anxious. Like use the word feeling. Yeah. I Not I am anxious because I am anxious is that's now I'm putting that on me. I am this, I'm this, I'm anxiety. I am depression. And it's like, and similarly, I am an athlete. I am a winner. I am a good. And so if I have a moment that I am not that, then who am I? And so it's just like sort of separating that and saying, I'm experiencing anxiety. I'm experiencing, you know, I experience or have bouts with depression. And so changing it to something that is something that you might be taking along on your journey, but it doesn't have to be wrapped up in who you are. And so you're allowed to separate that in a way that is healthy and giving yourself some distance to say, maybe I can have some power over this versus I'm powerless to do anything about it, if that makes sense. I, I think the reason why even just separating from your identity is somewhat controversial is because when we look at people who say, oh, she's an athlete, so she can't be depressed is because yeah. they are putting that identity. They're saying, if you are someone who's depressed, that's all you are. That's all you are. That's right. You're just anxious. You can't then go and perform or do this. So it is, it is, I think that's, what's going to change some of the stigma is recognizing it isn't necessarily an identity piece. So I think, I mean, that, that can open a whole can of worms. Yeah. I'm sure we could talk about it all day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but there's two questions. I always okay. end things on. I want to add in a third. I think I'm going to start adding this in. So okay. I'll start with that one is what is one book that you could re- recommend people to, um, to read when it comes to, you know, mindset or mental performance? Oh man, that's good. Uh, of course there's so many, right. I mean, you know, we've talked about atomic habits. We've talked about a lot of stuff, but I shared this today. And I don't think anyone else is going to share it. So I'm going to share this one. And I know that those are listening. You're not going to be able to see, but the book is the power of your subconscious mind by Dr. Joseph Murphy. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, Natalie, but this is not a mental performance book. (laughs) And so I, I want athletes to understand that, um, Getting like basically what I put on my post a couple of weeks ago, which is like your mind is like an untamed or unbroken horse. And so being able to harness and take the power back of your mind is going to do wonders, wonders for your, um, you know, your performance, because, you know, like the difference between the greatest of all time and the guy that we can't remember his name or the athlete that we can't remember their name is just mindset. It's just mentality. It's having that. And even then the greatest of all time, if they're not a hundred percent in all of us, you know, like this idea that we don't use a hundred percent of our brain, that's not true. We're not aware of the use of a hundred percent of our brain. Our brain is constantly working at a hundred percent capacity, unless you've had some sort of brain injury. But even then with neuroplasticity, the brain compensates and figures out a way to still work optimally. And so this idea of like, he's not talking about brain science in this book. He's talking about how to use the power of your subconscious mind to direct your mind in the way of what you want, the outcome and the results. And I think that that would speak to mental performance, whether you be an athlete or you be someone in life that's trying to achieve any kind of success. So. Awesome. Well, I, I'm glad that I asked that question because that's a new one. I think, uh, I mean, I, people are always looking for book recommendations. So I think I'll keep that one in there because yeah. you know, everyone who comes on here always has some great books that they're reading. And I know definitely you do. So I'm glad yeah. I asked because I haven't read that. So I'm going to have to go into it. Um, okay. So here are the last two that I always ask everybody. And first one is out of everything that you do daily, all the daily habits you have, what is the one biggest game changer for you? 
Uh, I would say it would be uh, my self-talk, but my intentional self-talk. So um, just talking myself through, um, basically I get up every morning or I was, I'm not as consistent sometimes, but I get up and I script out um, what I want to happen or what's happening in my life, the way that I want it to be happening. So for example, um, right now, uh, if you look at my stats, I don't have 2000, um, I don't have 10,000 followers, but I will say I'm loving the fact that I have 10,000 followers on my, um, on my Instagram, because I've been able to impact people in countries all over the world. It's making such a difference for me. And I am, uh, you know, like every day someone's sending me a message that's saying, thank you so much for your post. They make such a difference, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So by doing that, you know, I'm planting the seed saying I'm claiming this. And what I'm seeing is I'm seeing <laughs> movement and uh, momentum in my life in that direction. Doesn't mean I'm not taking action in other ways. I'm not just sitting and waiting for that to happen, but I'm still posting every day. I'm still doing my thing, but now the universe knows I've claimed it. And so all of a sudden things start to happen that way. And it's almost like, wow, this is awesome. So that's something that I would say. I, I love that you brought that up because I actually started a few weeks ago. I put same, like on my reminders, I have three and it says, I am grateful that, and it's like things, um, in the future, like I have this, or I have yeah. this freedom to do this and whatever I'm all myself, my whole family, we're all happy, healthy, and can do these uh, opportunities yeah. and things together, whatever it is. And it's funny. I was driving and they popped up and my, my boyfriend's like, what is coming up always on your phone? Like every four hours. I'm like, oh, just, just some reminders for myself. <laughs> no, no big deal. And it's so funny, but that's awesome. It, it does make a big difference and it keeps you aligned with those positive thoughts and, right. um, the actions that you need to take to even get there. So, Love that. And um, the last question is, you're looking back on your whole life, like you're late in in your life, late in your days, Mm -hmm. Um, looking back at everything you have done and accomplished in the world. If you could describe the impact that you wanted to make in one word or that you have made, what would it be? Mm. One word. Ah, As the verbose speaker, think. Uh, Just impact or legacy. Those are the two things like I, um, or transformation. Um, I know those are different words, but like, I, maybe this is the word that's coming revolutionize. I want to revolutionize mental performance or mindset, anything. I want people to be in the place of that. They understand that they are the masters of their own destiny and that it's not out of their hands. And so, yeah, I just want to revolutionize the, I want to be a part of that. And so that's, that's a huge, I know I can't do it by myself, but I'm going to keep beating that drum. And I hope people always say like, you know, Brenda always made me think differently and like help me, you know, really take back control of my life and not controlling the things you can't control, but realizing there's a lot more in your control than you realize when you stop listening to everybody else and you start sort of having those inner conversations that start directing you to where you really want to be. So. That's awesome. Well, I love that. And I've loved this conversation and I want to make sure people can find those positive messages that you put out every day, um, as well as being able to work with you if, if they can do that. So where can people go to find you and to see all that kind of stuff? Okay. Yes. So, uh, the first thing I want to say is that, um, of course the best place to find me is on Instagram. I post there every day consistently. I'm also on LinkedIn, of course, but it's all everywhere on anywhere. Social media is at Bryn Drescher. So it's just my first and last name really easy. And I know Natalie's going to put that in the show notes, so I'm not even going to bother spelling it out. So (laughs) secondly, um, I work with athletes on the mental game and I have an eight week uh, thing. And it's funny because it's called all in podcast and I teach my all in method. It's a five-step method. And, um, 
and I call the program the mental athlete program, but essentially I take athletes through, um, uh, my five-step method of helping them harness the best of their mental health to increase their performance and be just a better overall human um, for their team, for their life, et cetera. And, uh, you know, you can just DM me um, or I do have a website, but it's being redesigned. So, you know, bringdresser.com, but it's kind of more based on when I was a speaker. I still do speak. Um, I love to go out and speak. So you can, of course, contact me there for that. Um, but yeah, so social media DMs. And then, of course, you can email me um, via my uh, website. It's just info at Bryn Drusher is my email. So BrynDrusher.com. Sorry. Gotta say that part. Awesome. Yes. I will definitely put your website and your Instagram and that stuff in the show notes. So if anyone wants to go check it out, I highly recommend uh, you do help you get there to your intention of the 10,000 or whatever it is. Well, it's going to happen. Oh yeah. So I I know you're, you're impacting people in a positive way. And I think those things are just a byproduct of that. So appreciate you coming on here. Love this conversation. Um, So thank you again. Thank you so much, Natalie. So such a great conversation. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.